Welcome, everybody, to another great podcast from the Crystal River Church of God. Whether you're on your way to work, on your lunch break, or even taking a jog, our prayer for you is that this helps you to find focus for living. We truly hope you enjoy this message live from CRCOG. If you have your word, let's go to the uh, book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. I really don't know what pastor was thinking having me preach out of the book of Acts on Wednesday night. But um, anyways, if if you have it, uh, go there, and I'm going to begin to read for the sake of time. It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. In the breaking of bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. That's what I want you to get first. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all. As anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray over the word tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity, and I do not take it lightly. I know that there are many others that could fill this position right here. And I understand that it's an honor and privilege just to be behind this sacred desk. Father, I ask you that you would give me the words to speak clearly tonight, yet unoffensively. I pray, Father, that those words would go beyond just the physical ears, but sink down into the corridors of the heart and soul and mind. Father, I pray that you would move over this crowd right here and you would allow them to understand the importance of what you're trying to say tonight. Father, let the Holy Spirit go before me and prepare the way in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So let me set the picture here for you. You know I love history. And I love, anytime I read, I want to know what's going on. Right? I want to know what the background is. So of course, whenever I began to study this and work through this, the first thing I wanted to know, what's going on? What's what's the background behind this right here? Well, you know, of course, um, the uh, pastor talked about the detriment of isolation. Now, we understand that... In this time, and I'm going to break it down to you, that these people were quite isolated in certain ways. They were isolated. They were, they were ha- to where they actually had fear and they, they actually came to houses and hid from others. We know that, the, um, uh, that this is taking place on the day of Pentecost, which if you're not familiar with what Pentecost is, but Pentecost is actually 50 days after the Passover. And in this particular case and setting, it was also 50 days after the death of Jesus. Okay? So that is where you're at in in time right here. It's approximately the year 29 AD. And a lot is really going on regionally at this time. You understand, of course, that Rome rules Jerusalem at this time. And they rule the whole entire area. Um, They ruled most of the, the Levant at this time, which is... Really that area of Israel, Syria, Jordan, and so on. They actually ruled most of that area. And what was happening was, is that the particular area of Judea was 
recovering from a famine that occurred 55 years prior. Actually, the Jewish historian Josephus records that the famine cost over 20,000 deaths just in Jerusalem. This along with the need of extra troops in the region to combat violence from fringe extremists and religious groups, anti-government extremists, such as the Sicarii, pressed the finances of Rome and specifically in the area of Judea. So the Romans soon grow weary of their responsibility here. They soon grow weary over the fact that they are having to take care of a, of a group of people who have bankrupted them, so they thought. So they begin to persecute people, specifically the Christians. They persecute all of the people of Judea and tax them to death. In fact, the Jewish Sanhedrin then takes out the pressure that's on them from the Roman government on the other fringe Jewish groups. And at this time, Christianity was considered a group of the Jewish sect. They considered themselves Jews. They didn't call them Christians. Actually, later on, the Bible says that they were called Christians first at Antioch. Up until that point, they were just followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus. So the Jewish Sanhedrin says, well, we know what we're going to do. We're going to take out of all, all this pressure and this aggression and all these things we're dealing with, this stress and anxiety of financial hardship and unrule and, and chaos, and we're just going to take it out on somebody. So they choose to take it out on the Christians. They take it out, of course, first in the form of the crucifixion over Jesus, and then they nail down every follower of Jesus and, trace, and chase him, them, he or her down. And you have to understand that up until Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem, the Christians are hiding in homes in fear for their life. They're keeping hush. They're not telling anyone who they are. And they're disassociating themselves from other Christians. They are isolating themselves to the point that it would be almost impossible to verify that they were a Christian. In other words, they are staying home and keeping away from people and isolating from people to a point to which it would be absurd to believe they were Christians. I'm not inferring anything, I'm just saying something. Then, of course, they listen to the word of Jesus to assemble together in the upper room. Now, you have to understand something. They're listening and waiting for any form of hope. Any bit of hope. I just need a word. Has anybody ever felt that way? That everything is falling apart. That everything, you know, it would be one thing if it was just one thing. But everything... Is coming against them. And so they hear Jesus say, listen, I want you to go tarry in Jerusalem until you are, you are met with power from on high. Right? And so they go and they, they, they wait in what is called the upper room. And then the Bible says that they are waiting there. And if you do the timeline correctly, it's about 10 days that they're waiting in Jerusalem for this to happen. 
with just 120 of them together in this room, all of a sudden, they are filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, this time of fellowship in the upper room begins an era of miracles, signs, and wonders. There are actually certain major parallels from then and now. Now I'm inferring. There are major parallels from then and now. And fellowship was not only beneficial to the first century church, it's still just as beneficial to today. You still need fellowship. As a matter of fact, the Word of God says, so much the more as the day approaches. What day is he talking about? The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we get closer, fellowship is needed more. Why do you think Satan has attacked? And yes, I will say it. I'm not saying the government's attacked the church. I'm not saying certain people have attacked the church. Satan, make no mistake, has attacked the church. He has attacked their mind. He has attacked... Their, their habits. He has attacked where they go to receive help and hope. Because he knows if he can just get you isolated. If he can just get you separate from the body of Christ. All hope is lost because soon you'll buy into the emotions that you feel. Soon you'll buy into the feelings that no one loves you, respects you, or wants you. I get emails, messages, text messages, things I would never betray their trust. But I get them on a regular basis of people saying, I feel so alone. I feel so isolated. I feel like I can't make it. And without exception, these all have cut off fellowship from the body of Christ. Without exception. You have to know that your strength lies in numbers. So let's discuss today the five benefits of a true of true godly fellowship. If it is important, we got to know why it's important, right? Number 1 is fellowship builds friendship. You see, the church after all right after the day of Pentecost was a close-knit group. They understood that the power of being together was powerful to overcome. In matter of fact, the text says in verse 44, "Now, now all who believed were together. That was the first thing. And had all things in common. You see, because togetherness builds relationships. You know, if you say you don't have any friends, are you placing yourself in an area or exposing yourself to a place where you can meet friends? Right? Togetherness builds relationship. You see, you cannot have relationship without first coming together. It just does not work. They had to obey the word to assemble together in Jerusalem. Just being together is a start. Just being together is a start. Listen, 
Long distance relationships are difficult to maintain because you're absent from one another. Imagine trying to have a long distance relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's not going to work. You have to be exposed to His Word and exposed to His people on a regular basis. You see, if you isolate yourself, you will, de- you will not develop the friendships that God has provided for your future. The truth is, soon you will find that your only friends become your emotions and the enemy. The answer to your loneliness begins with coming together. That's why it's important to physically come to church. I want to say this. I understand that there are certain circumstances of people who are legitimately limiting their contact with others. I get it. I cannot discount that. I want you to know that. But I also want you to know this. If you allow your limitations to be rooted purely in fear and not sound reason, don't expect to overcome. I wish some would believe the word of God like they do the opinions of others. I wish that they would get that in their heart like they do every naysayer's word. I wish some of them would get together and say, you know what? It's about time that I let the word of God rule my life. Instead of every negative thought, instead of every distraction, instead of every press release and media outlet, it's about time I let God be true. Then, of course... We understand it's very difficult to have relationship without togetherness. And we need relationship because relationships build fellowship. Once they had all things in common, their needs were met. It says they sold their positions and goods, possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. You have to understand that your strength lies... Your strength lies in coming together. That it enlarges your capacity. It enlarges what you are capable of. You understand there's strength in numbers, but there's strength in believers. When you start exposing yourself to people of faith. And listen, in church there are doubters. I understand that. And in church there can be naysayers. But you have a far greater chance of finding hope and joy and peace in the house than you do outside of it. The Greek word for fellowship, of course, is koinonia, which means to have communion, joint participation, the share which one has in it. As in anything, participation, a gift, jointly contributed, a collection, a contribution, etc. In other words, it's when you come together with similar likes, similar interests, similar ideas, and one goal. Listen, every one of us have different opinions about different things. But we have one opinion. That is that we need Jesus and He loves every one of us. As you enlarge your relationships, you begin to enlarge 
your capacity. Fellowship produces friendship. Again, you might say, well, I don't have any friends. I understand. And sometimes it could be difficult for certain people to develop friends. I get that. Sometimes people are really, really nice people inside. They just haven't told their face. And I get that. I understand. It's like, you know, cracking a shell to get to the peanut. You know what? But aren't you glad you did? Right? You have to understand that you're building friendships takes work. Okay? And sometimes you're going to find people you don't like in the process of it. But that's okay. That doesn't mean that it that, that everybody's going to be like that. You understand? It doesn't mean that every relationship's going to be like that. That's when you have to work and build it and keep looking and keep building and keep trying. And soon you'll find somebody that'll link up with you, that'll talk you out of a bad attitude when you need to, that'll come to you and share the gospel with you when you need to hear it again. Right? That'll come and tell you, listen, I don't think that's right. And not only that, but somebody that's going to pray with you. And bear the burdens that you have in life. Listen, life is too difficult to do it alone. Why in the world would you try it? Now I'm going to say this. There are people who come to church and are still isolated. There are people who come to church... And have yet to produce friendships and fellowship. Because they have not sought after the commonality. They feel like no one would want to be their friend. Or no one understands them. Or no one quite gets their concern. Or no one really takes them seriously. So they isolate themselves into a bubble. And they, 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 they feel like. Each day is a struggle because they have not made those relationships. Remember what I said. Friendship takes work. You have to be willing to engage in it and try it before it happens. Okay? Fellowship, of course, produces friendship. And it's, it's not a surprise that you will find some that you will disagree with. But that's okay because... Friendship will be produced in vital friendships. Jesus said this even about friendship in John 15 and 15. He says, I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you as friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. And no, I'm not going to sing I'm a friend of God. In case you were wondering. He said, I'm no longer calling you servant. I'm calling you friend. Because you know my plans. Isn't that something? Wait a minute. You're talking about, the Bible says he was, he was present at the foundation of the earth. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. And he's calling you friend? Right? He's calling you friend. He says, I no longer call you servants because I'm calling you friend. You know the plans. You know what I've heard from the Father. You know where we're going. You see, friendships are different 
than acquaintances. You can have plenty of acquaintances without ever having any friendships. Right? I know this. I have 2,000 and something friends on Facebook. I don't know most of them. I couldn't tell you much about them at all. I had a friend say this. He goes, I don't need Facebook friends. I have real friends. I know the guy. He was lying. But (laughs) the, the truth is, is those are acquaintances. Facebook calls them friends, but most of the time they're acquaintances. Now, I do have friends on Facebook that are my friends, right? But Facebook friends don't mean friends, right? Typically, it's acquaintances. And you can say, hey, that's my friend, right? But the truth is, if you've only met once or twice, and for some reason or another, whatever they have or whatever the case is, you call them friend. Or the reverse is true. Whatever you have that they want, they call you friend. But it doesn't mean they're your friend. What makes a friend a friend is you begin to allow each other in on the most intimate thoughts. The challenging things. The stuff that will force you to be held accountable. The stuff nobody wants to share. That's what makes them a friend. You know, Pastor Ronnie says this about myself, and I'm not bragging. I'm just saying this is my trust in him. Is He was said, it was said to him, man, I wish Justin wouldn't share you with you everything. He said, no, no, no. That's what I like about him. Is that if he does something wrong, he can't wait to get before me. And say, hey look, this is what's going on. I want you to hold me accountable. You know why? Because I learned a long time ago, me left to my own devices is a scary thing. I need somebody that will get in my grill. Somebody that will tell me, hey, you're not acting right. You're not doing right. That ain't how you talk to somebody. That ain't how you react to that. That's not the way we go about this. I need somebody to let me know when I'm crazy. Let me share with you. You do too. And work on it pretty quick, why don't you? The truth is, is we've got to let them in though. And I understand it can be difficult to trust somebody to let them in. I get it. Especially if you have allowed people into that place. And they have occupied that setting. And when they have occupied that setting, they have betrayed your trust. They have shared things on you that you told them to hold secret. That you entrusted them with. Or not only that, they went and they stabbed you in the back. They went around and used that moment for their own benefit. I get it. But you cannot allow those moments in time to stop you from ever loving again. You cannot allow, you cannot afford to allow it to stop you from trusting again. Let some people in your life that you can trust make sure though they are godly people. The Bible says this, that you cannot be unequally yoked. What fellowship does light have with darkness? You need some... Listen, I have friends that are unsaved. I have friends that, that, that they, 
not only are unsaved, but I even have friends that proclaim to be atheists. But I'm careful what I allow them to speak in my life. And I'm not only careful what I allow them to speak in my life, but I'm careful what I share with them. Because I need somebody that's going to fight me out of a battle. I need somebody that's going to stand beside me and say, we're going to fight this together. Amen? Fellowship can only be built with time, energy, and effort. It takes work. I can't say that again. Let me tell you this. Look, we have a lot of things that go on here. At, we have a lot of things that happen on a regular basis here. All the time. We have focus groups. We have family focus hour. We have events. We have things that we do on a regular basis. Listen, it's a fast moving train at times. And that takes work. But it's important to us. It's important to the staff. It's important to Pastor Ronnie and Pastor Sherry. That we create moments, environments, and settings where fellowship can take place so lasting relationships can form. Because the the sweat is worth it. The time is worth it. The energy is worth it. But you've got to put some skin in the game too to make it work. Alright? Does that make sense? Is that okay? Are we good? Are we still friends, Nick? Alright? Inside joke. Um, so it's important to understand that it takes time, energy, and effort. So it's likewise important to know the difference between attending and belonging. Attending is great, but belonging produces real change. You can attend, and you can attend. There are people who have attended this church for years, some way before I ever started coming here 11 years ago, and I have no clue who they are. They call this place their church. Pastor Ronnie, he's been here 27 years this October. And he will say the same thing. Because for some reason or another, they slip in right after church has started. You know, they come to the uh, 1130 service on Sundays. And they slip right on in. And then as soon as altar call happens, they take right out. Probably conviction, but that's what happens. I'm just kidding. I don't know. And for whatever reason, listen, I understand. Sometimes you don't, you just want to do your thing and you don't want to be bothered and you want to just, you know, get in and get out. I get that. I understand that. Everybody here has those moments where we want to do that. But listen, you are never going to make any friends if nobody gets to talk to you, if nobody gets to know you. It's not going to happen. You're never going to have true fellowship until you start being active and present. Right? So that leads me to the next thing. There are approximately four types of people who attend church. Those who not only attend, but are present. These people do not know the meaning of quit. They show up no matter what. Sunday morning worship, family focus hour, focus groups, outreaches and serving every function possible. They are involved in everything. These are the kind of people I love. Right? These are the Jim Richmonds. Right? And and many of you in here, I could go on naming names and naming and continue. The point is, these are the people that are the backbone of the church. 
We are not the only people who keep this together. It's those kind of people who keep this together. It's our first impressions team. It's our youth department. It's our kids church. It's our nursery workers. It's all of you that serve on a regular basis. You're the backbone of this church. It's what makes the difference between a church that's effective and a church that has become a club. These people have divorced themselves from the idea of quit. I was talking to somebody the other day and they felt overwhelmed. They felt like they couldn't do it. And you see, I'm the kind of person that I will push you to your breaking point just to see what you're capable of. Why do I do that? Because somebody's got to set the potential. You ask my children, you ask my wife, we're not average. We don't believe in average. We believe in going at it with every bit of your being, with, your fi- with every bit of fire and passion you can give it. We don't settle for less than the best. I am a child of the Most High God. I am an heir to His kingdom. Why should I settle? And I say it to you. You are children of the Most High God. He loves you and loved you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Why in the world should you settle? And I said to this individual, I said, right now you need to make it up in your mind that you will divorce yourself of that word quit. That that is no longer in your vocabulary. That when you wake up in the morning you say, I will. I will. It doesn't matter what comes after me. It doesn't matter what hinders me. I will overcome. Why? Because I'm blood bought by the blood of the Lamb. Why? Because God is my Father. Why? Because my sins are forgiven. Why? Because they're cast in the sea of forgetfulness. Why? Because insecurities don't matter when I'm in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I refuse to say quit. Number two is those who also attend but are not present. They're faithful as long as it does not require anything from them. These are the ones who go through focus track and sit at my table and say, I didn't really want to serve. Well, that's what a disciple is. We just spent four weeks on that. We just spent four weeks telling you what a disciple of Christ is. You know, and and listen, you can serve in many different areas, but serve the kingdom of God. El Shaddai, man, they give out a thousand pounds of food every week. A thousand pounds of food they give out. They fed 28,000 people last year. They need help. The First Impressions team needs help. Kids Church needs help. Nursery needs help. And Christy Collins is somewhere saying amen. The youth department needs help, right? Serve. Why? Because that's the only way you're going to get true fulfillment. There's not enough word that can come across this podium. There's not enough self-help books. There's not enough stuff that we can teach you to get that kind of fulfillment. But when you begin to serve others and you start to see that your life has purpose and value beyond your own capabilities, then you will be happy.
Then, serve. Number three is those who are completely AWOL, absent without leave. They are those who have simply quit attending because of either they have been hurt or the guilt of their failures. Something or rather keeps them here. Pastor said this last week. He said, or he said this Sunday rather. He said, you know, I, heard, I hear people say, listen, I got to get a couple things together first before I come to church. I just don't want to be a hypocrite. Well, you go to Walmart all the time and you still shop at Publix. You're a hypocrite. You know, whether you like it or not, that's the way it works. Okay, get over it. This is a hospital. If you're sick, you're in the right place. All right, it's okay. So don't allow guilt to hinder you from being involved or present in the church. Not only that, but don't allow hurts. Listen, I will tell you this, and I've shared this before, and I don't share it in full detail, but I will tell you this. This person right here had their family torn apart by a pastor. He was our pastor since I was a child. My family was ripped apart. But if I let that be my basis for how I treated pastors, if I let that be my basis for how I trusted people, I would be hopeless and dark and have nothing to live for. But God showed me one day that it doesn't matter that that happened. That not every pastor's like that. Not every church is like that. And not only that, but God certainly is not like that. Amen? Then there are those who are missing in action. MIA. They have fallen into enemy territory. MIA usually happens when a soldier loses his or her direction. Typically when they are overwhelmed by the fight. There are plenty who were busy doing the work of Christ but lost the direction of love of Christ and they were held spiritually captive. In the midst of work, they became burnt out. That's why you'll find pastor when we have the other. We have the other end of extreme where people say, I want to serve here, I want to serve here, I want to serve here. We're leery of that. Listen, we love somebody that's, that's, that's ready and passionate and we'll put you to work. But when you sign up for everything, Pastor Ronnie is big about this. He'll say, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow your roll. He doesn't want you to get burnt out. There's a reason behind that. And that's what happens when somebody goes MIA. Is they just get caught up in the motions. They learn how to be a professional Christian. They just do what is required of them and just continue to do the motions. Maybe some of you are saying this. I've done that at work. I just got caught up in the motions. My passion's gone. My drive's gone. I no longer want to do it anymore. I just, I'm just existing. And now you're emotionally MIA. Well, I'm here to tell you that if you will seek after Christ, His fellowship, and His children's fellowship, you can feel present once again. Number two is fellowship builds unity. Fellowship forces us to identify what we have in common. You see, we have the same goals. We have the same Father. We're glorifying the same God. We want to become more like Jesus. And we have the same destination, that is heaven. When you begin to analyze those things, the little non-important stuff becomes less influential. Next is, you need to know that you can have a union without having unity. If you don't believe that to be true, just look at the state of our nation. If that's not a good enough example for you, think about this. Have you ever tried 
I personally have not. But have you ever tried tying two cats' tails together and throwing them over a clothesline? I've never done that. I just want to say that. Remember who wrote this sermon? I've never done that. Nor would I recommend it. But I'm telling you right now, you're in for a fight right there. They have a perfect union, but no unity. All right? I've never tried that. But we, in order to see the miracle take place in our lives, we have to be unified. Take, for instance, on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were all with one accord in one place. They got this right first. They started to get this right. Right? As soon as they got on the same page, they realized they had the same desire. Then the Holy Spirit fell. Then it caused people of different races, languages, and political preferences to be in unison speaking the same language. You want to know what the answer is to division? The power of the Holy Spirit. You look, for instance, what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says that there were races and people from the, uh, the uh, Galilee. There were people from Persia, Medes. There were people from, uh, from Rome, from Africa. They were all over the place. And they were right there in, in uh, Jerusalem because it was the Passover and Pentecost. They were there to celebrate the feast. And what happens is, is when the Holy Spirit falls... They begin to speak a language they understand. You have to get it. That if you want to be able to start understanding one another, if you, if, for instance, in your, in your marriage, if you and your wife or you and your husband are not on the same page, maybe the power of the Holy Spirit isn't operating yet. If you want to start to where you can begin to get on the same page and understand one another and speak the same language, and when you speak it, they get what you're saying. And listen, if you're a man, that's a huge miracle right there. But if you want that to happen, the power of the Holy Spirit can do that. Amen? You have to understand that when you have fellowship, you begin to have unity. You may or may not remember this, but 18 years ago in July of 2002, nine miners were trapped in a coal mine in Pennsylvania. On a Wednesday evening, the the mine collapsed, filling with water. The miners were not pulled from the mine until Sunday morning. The miners were 250 feet below ground in a water-filled mine shaft. Together, they decided early that they were either going to live or die as a group. They knew that they couldn't last long. The water temperature was 55 degrees If they were not rescued in a matter of hours, they would all die of hypothermia. So what the men decided to do was work together. When one would get cold, the other eight would huddle around the person and warm that person. And when another person got cold, the favor was returned. A man by the name of Harry Mayhew was one of the miners and he said this. Everybody had strong moments. But any certain time, maybe one guy got down and then the rest pulled together. 
And then that guy would get back up and maybe someone else would feel a little weaker. But it was a team effort. That's the only way it could have been. The miners in the town faced incredibly hostile conditions together and they all came out alive because of unity. Fellowship builds unity. If you start to get together with one another, pretty soon you start finding out that you have a lot in common. More so than you have apart. Fellowship builds God's kingdom. Notice what our text says that happened once they got together in unison. It says in verse 46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Once they got together, then the church began to grow. The same thing goes for your family. Let me just tell you, you want to do the best thing you can possibly do for your family to grow your finances? You and your wife get on the same page about finances. You want to do the best thing to grow your children and the impact you have on them? You and your spouse, whatever the case is, you and your spouse get on the same page. Amen? When you get together in unity, you build things that last. Our fellowship with each other and with Jesus is a light to the world. You see, the early church was not only committed to Jesus, they were also devoutly committed to one another. This greatly impacted their city and eventually the world. And there is no greater witness than how you treat fellow believers. Jesus actually says this. He says, let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way I have loved you. You love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. When they see the love you have for one another. You want to be a disciple of Christ? Start loving. You want to be a disciple? Start expanding your love. Now I know at times it can be difficult to love. There are some EGR people we say around here. Extra grace required. We understand that. But you have to understand that if you just try, you're going to find somebody. Okay? There are going to be more out there that are good than bad. Next is fellowship builds effectiveness. You see, when the believers work together in fellowship, it greatly enlarges their capabilities. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. You see, God has created us to be more effective When we work together. This idea began when God said. It is not good for man to be alone. It began in the garden. God immediately took to the task. To create fellowship in the garden. We are more effective when we fellowship. And finally fellowship builds protection. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. You have to understand that it is in our relationships where often our strength comes from. And that is true with healthy and unhealthy relationships. Notice that the scripture says this. Two can withstand because a threefold cord is hard to break. Now listen, 
I'm not, I don't consider myself a mathematical genius. I did real well, but I'm not saying I'm any Einstein, okay? But two does not equal three. Am I wrong? Two together, then a threefold chord. Why is that? Something must be missing. That is because when you and another believer agree, God believes with you. He agrees with you. When you and another believer agree, God agrees with you. The opposite is true as well. When you have a poor influence in your life, you both become in agreement with Satan. My dad would say this all the time. He'd say, son, let me just tell you this. First thing he'd say is, he said, listen, boy. That's how he would talk. Listen, boy. If you lie down with dogs, don't expect that you won't get fleas. I said, dad, that's a double negative. That didn't work. He'd say, if you lie down with dogs, you're going to get fleas. Then he'd say this. He'd say, you are only... As good as your worst friend. Wherever, whoever you're around, if you allow them to influence your life, they are going to set the bar. Now, the, di- the difference is, is when you become the influence. And let me tell you, that is not for the faint of heart. Because many of people have said, I'm there to help them find salvation. And next thing you know, they're out in the bars with them. Well, I figured I'd just evangelize the whole joint. What do you think? Well, you're having communion, so you might as well. The truth is, is that when you link up with another believer, you're powerful because then God links up with you. But when you link up with someone that is not a believer, or they claim to be a believer... But their actions say otherwise. They are in agreement. And whether you like it or not. You're in agreement with Satan and his plan. So the truth is. Is I have to choose. Who I fellowship with. But when I do fellowship with the right people. I can overcome a lot. This is true. I want an agreement. With a believer that will help overcome the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. You see, those agreements bring about another level of protection. You need somebody that will fight you out of a bad attitude. You need somebody that won't let you throw a pity party. You need somebody that won't let you walk out on God. You need somebody that will hold you accountable. You need somebody that will watch your eyes. You need somebody that will watch your hands. You need somebody that will watch your feet. And send the warning when you start straying away. Make no mistake, not a soul in this house is strong enough without help. Now I'm going to tell you this. It is good when you have a godly relationship and that is your spouse. I know that there are many times whenever I have an attitude that isn't right, my wife will say, well, she'll come at it and say, well, wait a minute. No, hold on. And I'm like, stop it. I just want to be mad. You know, is anybody ever, am I the only one? Yeah, right. I just want to be mad. Let me be mad. I'm good at mad. 
well, hold on a minute. Let's see this from other. And then, of course, she's usually right. Um, <laughs> but the same goes for true for her. She'll tell you this, that there are moments where she's not as strong as she wants to be. And I'll say, honey, now, that's not what the Bible says. It's not what God says. Now, you've got to be careful with that, too. Don't be stupid. Don't be casting out demons and all that stuff whenever they're just having a bad moment. You know, be doing the, the, the Church of God chicken, you know, running. You know, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't be crazy. You need to say, you know, share with love and kindness and say, listen, now, I understand you feel that way. And I get that. And you might have a right to feel that way. But, but listen, the Word of God says that we can overcome that. And, and, and you need somebody that can go that way. So remember the word love. When you do that, and that doesn't matter whether it's your spouse or whether it's your friend or whatever the case is, come to them in love. Let <laughs> I wasn't sure that was about. <laughs> He's working on that. <laughs> Musicians on that note. Your power lies in who you fellowship with. It's the truth. We know this. The word of God says that one can put a thousand, two can put ten thousand to flight. Right? Your power lies in who you fellowship with. So I want you to know this. How do you become part of a godly relationship? Well, first of all, it's going to start with you coming together. You're going to have to come together. And if you're watching online, and I just want to say this, and I don't mean to be offensive to anyone, and, and listen, if, if you have a legitimate reason, now that can be... A broad term, but if you have a legitimate reason that you're staying home, we understand and we love you and we're praying for you. We believe God honors that. We believe in wisdom. But if you have allowed the enemy to legitimize your excuse, you are struggling with isolation. Let me just tell you how you could probably tell whether your concern's legitimate or not. If your concern's legitimate, then the enemy probably hasn't crept in. And started working on isolation with you. If your concern's legitimate, if you're feeling isolated and astray, and I say that to anyone in here, you feel like you're overwhelmed and nobody understands you and you can't find any peace, it's possible that you're not in right relationship yet. Everybody stand in this house. Remember, it begins with coming together. By building relationships, serving one another, building unity, and holding each other accountable. Then the power of the Holy Spirit will fall in your life. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I give you my word, I will not embarrass you. And I ask you that you would give this respect, please. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you want to start off with the right relationship, it has to begin with the one relationship that's most important. If you don't know Jesus today and you say, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I don't believe I've ever asked him into my heart. If I do, if I did, I'm not sure that, that it was legitimate. I, I don't 
really understand that I, I knew what I was doing at the time. That's okay too. If, if that's you here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you want to make sure you do, I'm going to ask you right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would just raise your hand in this place. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. I see that hand. Amen. Anyone else? All right, I'm going to ask you right now, those of you that raised your hand, but I'm going to ask everyone in here to join together because remember, we're a community and we do things together. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me right now. Would you do that? Heavenly Father, I come to you today understanding that I am guilty of sin. And I choose this day to turn from my ways of sin. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. And he rose again so that I can have victory. And I believe that if he comes into my heart today, that I will be saved. Father, I ask you to accept me into your family. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now let me just tell you this. If you said that prayer and you prayed it and you believed it. If you meant it. You are just as saved as I am right now. Amen. Now here's what I'm going to ask for, for you. If you raised your hand today. Discreetly. We have some people in the back here. I've got Laura over here and Teresa over here that have some information for you that they want to give you. If you raised your hand today, I'm asking you to go to them. They can pray with you if you want, but go to them. They have some information with you as we exit. The rest of you, if the Spirit Life team will come, if you would like prayer tonight, I want to pray for you. If you believe that it's time for right relationship, I want to pray for you. Can you do that? Either come up here or raise your hand right now. Heavenly Father, I come before you and I pray over this great group of people. And I ask you that you would speak into their life and their hearts. Father, I pray that you would create relationships in their life right now that are lasting. That are godly. Father, I pray that you would anoint them for things that they have yet to see. Empower them for things beyond their capabilities. And do it as they fellowship with other believers. In Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message. We pray that it has inspired you like never before. For more information about Crystal River Church of God, how to give, or even our upcoming events, be sure to check us out at crystalrivercog.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. And we will see you next week here at CRCOG.